You were never out of the fight. You were created for a time such as this. And you are now preparing to be sent into battle. God is calling you to be his disciple, to be formed in virtue and holiness. He has appointed you as an ambassador of his kingdom. To go and represent him to his people. And he's enlisted you as a soldier of Christ. To be sent out to fight for the good in this world. You were not made to make excuses. time for you to take extreme ownership for your life, for all of your life. It's time to rise up and finally be the man or woman you were created to be. Follow God. Lead others. And never surrender. It is time to begin seeking excellence. what is good friends and family this is your boy nathan crankfield the host and founder of the seeking excellence podcast and today we're going to talk about anti-excellence also known as mediocrity you know there's a lot of uh mediocre peeps out there in the world um it's very easy to fall into mediocrity but we're going to talk today about it and and what that really looks like so today's kind of more of like a philosophical episode, really kind of like gets at the core and heart of Seeking Excellence. I'm going to talk a little bit about the founding story and some of my inspirations for starting this and just some revelations and realizations that I've had in my own life recently as to why I'm so passionate about Seeking Excellence. But first, I just want to encourage you again, if you have not downloaded the Halo app, you know, we have a code for it and you can find that. In today's show notes, you can find that on our Instagram page and things like that. You could both support the Seeking Excellence podcast so we can get better equipment. I'm trying to get better stuff in here so I can record uh, better video uh, content for both Instagram and YouTube and um, to have better guests and things like that and be able to record better with guests and all that kind of stuff. So we're working towards some of those things and we're working on getting our banking stuff settled so we can uh, either develop Patreon or have some giving if you'd like to donate to the CK Excellence Podcast. We are a nonprofit corporation, but we have not got our 501c3 status yet. And so donations to us are not tax deductible yet, but we're working on getting that approved for this year. Um, so keep us in mind. If you're looking to, to tithe and want to get a little spicy with it and share um, you know, some of that tithe with a Catholic ministry, um, which I encourage people to do, you can choose whichever one you want, obviously, but uh, just keep that in mind for the future. But today's going to be a very Seeking Excellence-focused um, episode, right? So anti-excellence. So I couldn't think of a, a better word for anti-excellence. I think mediocrity is the only word that kind of comes close to it, right? Like, what's the opposite of excellent? I actually don't think that it's being trash. I think the opposite of excellence is mediocrity. And I think there's not a lot of people who are just like, full-blown, full like, giving up on their lives, right? I mean, like, you, the only people I can think of when I think of that is, like, people who are, like, drug-addicted homeless people or something like that, you know, who are, like, completely out of control. Most people are living, like, apathetic lives of mediocrity. So apathy is one of the great enemies of excellence. 
Um, apathy being, you know, you just don't really care. You don't really care either way. You don't really, you don't, you don't budget, not because you don't know how, but uh, that's part of it, but you really just don't even care to learn, right? You don't even care to take the time to learn. A lot of people, when it comes to their faith, like, yeah, they'll say they believe in God, but they don't really go to church because they just don't really care to like put in any effort in their relationship with God or to learn about their faith, right? People are apathetic towards, uh, you know, the fact that we're losing souls on a daily basis. That's why people don't evangelize, right? You're apathetic towards your health um, and your mental health and your relationships, right? Like this is, this is what we see a lot of times with fathers, right? A lot of, a lot of time we think of like bad fathers, we just think of those who are like abusive, whether it's mentally, emotionally, or physically, but almost more often than not, the, the fathers that are much more common and much, um, in some ways worse are those who just like, just don't care. They're like there, but not there. They're just really apathetic. They just don't really care. Right. And so apathy is one thing. Obviously, temptation is another thing. Um, sin is obviously a huge uh, enemy of excellence. And so today I want to talk about something that this is a realization that I had. I compiled all of this research, man, like eight months ago, I was going to do this podcast. And so there might even be updated stats on some of this stuff. Now, a lot of the stats are from like the last decade. So it's not like it's super outdated, but I wanted to record this one for a really long time. And it's really interesting because. I had this realization at Walmart in Kansas in like at like 10:30 p.m. Right. I forgot that I had to do something for work. I was still working at a college. So like 10:30 the night was just getting started, right? And so I had to go out and buy some snacks for for some of the RAs and stuff like that. And I went to Walmart, like maybe it was like nine o'clock, maybe it wasn't 10:30, but it was late, it was like later than you should ever go to Walmart, right? <laughs> Everybody knows if you ever had a Walmart, especially if it's not like in a nice area. Um, and there really is no nice area of Atchison, but uh, there is, that's not true, but it's, it's tiny and, and very out of the way. Uh, but the Walmart's not in it. And uh, there's only one Walmart in Atchison anyways. And so when you're in Atchison, Walmart past about six o'clock, that's when it starts getting weird. Right. And that's kind of how it was in Harrisburg too. I grew up really close to a Walmart in Harrisburg and man, sometimes we used to go after like 11 PM just to it's like going to the zoo almost, you know what I mean? Like it's a whole different breed of human that shows up at Walmart after midnight in them 24 hour Walmarts. I think they had too much crime. The Harrisburg Walmart I used to go to, uh, I think now closes at like 10 PM too much crime in that, in that zoo crowd. Right. Um, I get so distracted, but uh, anyways, coming back to earth, I kind of watched this family, right? And they were dressed pretty raggedly. They were very overweight. They were being really rude to each other. And I kind of had this clicking realization. Obviously, this is kind of like making an assumption and judgment on this family from this very brief moment that I'd seen them. And when I say family, like, I mean, the kids were like teenagers to 20s. And there was like a mom and dad. Like, I, they were kind of like siblings. And I think maybe one parent. I can't really exactly remember. It was a long time ago. But I kind of had this like realization, like, wow, you know, I pushed for seeking excellence because I realized how correlated all the things are, but I usually take it from the approach of like all the pillars. I should say all the things. So the seven pillars of excellence, mental, emotional, physical, financial, professional, social, and spiritual with spiritual being the central pillar, you know, and the most important one. And then the others being things that we also are stewards of, right. That God's entrusted to each and every one of us in some capacity. Um, and that we get judged, uh, judged based on how we handle those things. 
And also like the, the goodness of our life is dependent on how we handle those things. Um, the fulfillment that we experience, the purpose that we experience. And uh, a lot of the other six pillars can really draw us away from the spiritual one. So that's why it's so important, right? But I often think of it and approach the seven pillars as rising in one helps you to rise in others, right? So when you improve your physical health, your mental health improves as well. When your mental health improves, your emotional health improves and your relationships improve, right? When you grow closer to God and you start to pray more, you're more patient, you're more humble, you're more uh, grace-filled. And so your relationships improve and you're more driven at your job because Catholics have a very great theology of work. Uh, St. Joseph the Worker, May 1st is that feast day for St. Joseph the Worker. And we love the fact that work is sanctifying. Uh, so we see how our faith like plays into every area of our lives, right? And so I usually think of it as when you grow in one, you grow in the others, which is true. But what this family helped me to kind of realize was also when you when you start to really suck at one or the other, you know, when you are deficient, when you're slacking, when you're not being a good steward, you often start to drop in the other ones. Now, one thing I've often pointed out over time is that uh, people typically pick one or two of the pillars and try to just like uh, major in those, right? So people hate kind of this like well-rounded approach. It's the same thing you see in basketball, right? Like I use sports analogies a lot in this. And even as military officers, you kind of have like your niche that you kind of want to like fall into as an infantry officer, but you have to be good at everything, right? Calling for fire, mission planning, um, setting up a defense, uh, reacting to contact in airborne, airborne operations, right? Like uh, raids, ambushes, all these kinds of things. Like you have to know how to do all of it. Um, but you still have things that are kind of your favorite that you study a little bit more. You're a little bit more prone to be good at. Um, and, and you try to go deeper in those things. Now, uh, the same is true in basketball, right? Like once Steph Curry, you know, hit the national scene, when he hit the league, everybody wanted to be a shooter, right? Back in the day, you know, you had Vince Carter, Tracy McGrady, Kobe in the dunk contest, and like people wanted to dunk and, and jumping and athleticism was kind of the jam. And so, and, and that kind of flowed from the, like the Jordan years as well. And so you kind of have people that want to like maximize and, and major in one thing instead of trying to be good at, at a number of things, right? Trying to be diverse. And so we see the same thing here. Like you probably know somebody who takes their fitness really, really seriously and they're very lukewarm in their faith. Somebody who commits 60 hours a week to their job and their relationships are, are waning and suffering because of it, Right. Uh, somebody who's very financially and money driven that doesn't really care about their physical health or their mental health or their relationships. Right. So people pick one to two areas typically to be really strong in, which is why I said that there's not a lot of people who are just like terrible in all of them. But what you do start to see is how being bad in one can start to starts to suck the life out of the other pillars. Right. So it's not only homeless drug addicts who, you know, you can think of when you think of people who are really bad at all of them. I can think of a number of people who at least are really bad at a majority of them because some people choose to just be decent in one to two of them. They don't even really strive to be great in one to two of them. I mean, at least you can almost respect that a little bit more of the people who like really strive for greatness in a couple of the pillars, but some people don't even strive for that. Some people just strive straight for mediocrity. And so I think we need to be evangel evangelists of excellence. And I think that's, that's a, a requirement. It's something that is needed for each and every one of us, right? We need to be evangelists for excellence. And why is that? What does, what does life look like if you just decided to be mediocre? 
the world is trying to constantly draw all of us into being mediocre. And there's something to that. If you've ever read the screw tape letters, I can't recommend them enough. I've read them two or three times now. It's a great thing to do. Um, if you've never read them, like do like one a day, I think there's like 30 of them. So it's like almost exactly a month that you can read one a day. And it's, it's probably a good 10 to 15 minute read, at least I would say, but they're amazing. And, and C.S. Lewis writes from the perspective of, of a demon uh, and they're trying to tempt this guy, basically in, in this like fictional writing, which is based on reality, um, you know, to some extent, uh, each human being is like assigned similar, similarly to how they're assigned a guardian angel. You're also assigned like a tempter that's meant to like coax you into going to hell. And basically choosing hell, right? Because we choose heaven or choose hell each and every day, many times. Uh, and one thing that they say, you know, is that basically the path to hell is, is not this deep cliff. Like we often think of people and how we think of like Hitler and uh, Mao, right? And like uh, Saddam Hussein or Osama bin Laden. Like we think of the worst people, right? Um, and what he says, you know, in the book, he kind of points out that like, it's not always this like huge um, cliff or this huge drop, or he's like the, the road to hell is like gradual. It's a gradual decline. That's so slow. And so calming and comfortable that you don't even realize where you're going. And so what does that look like? You look at today's world. So what I'm going to do today in this anti-excellence episode, is I'm going to go through a lot of different stats. And honestly, I, I, I feel like I'm not always good at predicting how long things are going to take, but this might end up being a two-parter um, because there's a lot to this. There's a lot to this topic. And so I did a lot of research in the seven pillars of like, what does average look like in the church? Now, if you remember, oh man, this was probably like six to eight months ago, I released an episode with Father Meyer that was don't go back to normal. We, were, we, we cited a lot of these stats or things similar to this back then as well. But those were more specifically in the church. And now this is going to be a little bit more broad. And I want you to think of, you know, the people in your life, because I think this is one of the things that kind of realizing this was something that really moved me, you know, I, I uh, to, to go towards like seeking excellence and kind of, kind of, you know, orient my life around these seven pillars, because, you know, when I was growing up, whether it was family members, family friends or friends and their families, I feel like I saw a lot of this. You know, like I was exposed to a lot of people who really didn't take any type of stewardship or ownership over their seven pillars. And I see, I see a lot of these people as adults now, and I can even see it in my peers of my generation who find themselves unfulfilled in their jobs, divorced or single and, and not really willing to commit to a relationship, um, you know, overweight or out of shape, unhealthy far from the Lord and not going to church and just kind of like lukewarm in their faith or undecided in their faith and, and, and much more that we'll get into today. But I think, you know, people don't, uh, one of the, one of the biggest challenges with that is, and I see this with a few of them. And there's a few people who come to mind when I think about this is social media allows you to live a, uh, or to portray that you're living a lifestyle that you're not. Right. So if you've been any of these things, and, and even in my own life, I've been many of these things, right? Like I've been neck deep in sin and like a, you know, a slave to sin, absolutely, at many different points in my life. Um, I, I got up to 255 over the summertime and, and it was the heaviest I'd ever been. That's like 70 pounds over my 
a BMI way. Obviously, the BMI is BS in a lot of ways, but still, like I was, I was overweight for sure. Um, and now, thank God, I'm I'm down 25 pounds. By the time this comes out, hopefully, I'll be down even more. Um, I've been in terrible relationships where I was either the manipulator or was being manipulated, and was you know very unhappy in toxic relationships, so in both friendships and romantic relationships. I myself have been uh, broke. I remember when I started uh, my career in the army, I had like $300 in my bank account, couldn't afford my uniforms. Uh, I've been, you know, a, a slave and, and lived on the democratic plantation for a while. And like uh, thought and, and accepted many social, social justice beliefs that uh, were very limiting to my life, to my happiness, to my faith. And uh, I'm trying to think of all the pillars. Sometimes it's hard when I think about these things, but Mental health wise, man, I've gone through some depressive episodes and been depressed, uh, many times self-inflicted, sometimes life inflicted. You know, I've been mentally weak. I've been mentally tough. And so I've gotten to see a lot of these issues on both sides, not only in other people in my life, but in my own life as well. Now, what I've never really experienced is going through all of that at once. Right. So when I was at my heaviest weight, my most unhealthy, I was in, you know, I was getting engaged and I was engaged and I was, you know, in a happy relationship. So but having experienced them alone, like isolated, I guess you could say, sometimes in pairs or trios, um, but seldom, seldom that way. Most of the time they were isolated in different phases. Uh, I know how miserable they are. And so I know how miserable it must be to go through all of them at once. And I see people on social media who celebrate their lifestyle. And to me, I mean, if you want to know one of the things that like makes me very resentful towards the generations that's come before us, the generation before us and the one before them. I think both of them did this. Um, and before I say this, this is really interesting because I, I often point out the fact that it's usually, ironically, the like progressives and the left who like disassociate themselves from the generations before us and like dog them and hate history, right? They hate Lincoln, they hate Thomas Jefferson, they hate all these things. And I feel like, you know, sometimes I like, relate to that to a certain degree because i think that the two generations that came before us largely in a lot of ways ruined both america and the church and one of the the biggest ways that i think they did that obviously not all of them did that but i think their generation did so i think that's kind of like the mark that they've left i think we had kind of like the greatest generation that fought in world war ii had a lot of traditional values um and then the generation after that, the baby boomers and stuff, I, I mean, just absolutely demolished all of that. The sexual revolution came out of that generation and so much more. And, and then you look at the church history lines up pretty closely with that of our decline. And I think, uh, you know, one of the biggest ways that they, they ruined things was, was pride. And the main form of pride that I've seen in there is an unwillingness to share their mistakes honestly and openly in a way that could help future generations prevent them. Instead, what those generations did was they celebrated their mistakes and encouraged future generations to repeat them. And so you see this with things like the sexual revolution. You see this with things, especially like divorce and a lot of the stuff I'm going to go through and talk about today that they really just, they just let, they just let it perpetuate, right? They just let it continue. Uh, we saw helicopter parents and things come out of this. And so you see a lot of like kind of, the soft generations that we have now in Gen Z and millennials um, came out of the, the baby boomers and the generation after them. 
And so I think one of the biggest issues is in social media, when they were, they were an adult, they were adults when social media came out and this, this is exactly what they did. They live, they live uh, some of them sad, unsuccessful lives. Not, not all of them, obviously I'm generalizing some, but I'm thinking of a few people that I, I I've seen and I've witnessed this and I see my generation continuing this on. They live sad, unsuccessful lives that, that, promote on, on social media as though, as though their lives are awesome, even though you know that if you know them behind behind the screen, that they're not happy, they're unhappy, unfulfilled. And it's really interesting. It's a really interesting phenomenon that we're kind of seeing happen and take place in our world. But I do think that it, it was that this pride really, really led to a lot of these stats and what we have right now. So this is why you need to be an evangelist, evangelist of excellence, because if we don't fight for it, who will? And we're just going to see more and more people just, just coasting and being driven into excellence or into mediocrity, excuse me, um, instead of excellence. And we lose souls that way. We lose people. Um, and so let's talk about some of this ish, man. So check me out. So here we go. So starting off here, anti-excellence stats. We're going to start with the mental pillar. So I, I, before one more, one more disclaimer kind of setting, setting the table. This is some depressing stuff. Uh, it's pretty sad. But I think that, you know, what I try to do, and I, I've said before, you know, like, as when you're a platoon leader or a battalion commander in the military, even a squad leader, you can't sugarcoat the reality of what you're heading into when you're going into battle. And so that's what today is about. It's not about being depressing or dwelling on the negativity. Um. One thing I'm going to really harp on a lot this year is that we are likely going to have to be martyrs of some sort in our lifetime. I truly believe that. And you have to start being ready for it. And you have to start taking a true access assessment of what's going on. Because I, for, for a long time, kind of put my head in the sand and tried to just live my life and didn't really care about politics or social movements or the culture or whatever. And now I'm realizing like, wow, a lot of people did that for a long time. And some really evil characters uh, really pushed us in the wrong direction. So. Uh, I'll, I'll put a lot of the sources and things like that in the, in the, the, uh, yeah, whatever in the thing below, um, in the show notes, as they say, there's lots of them though. So buckle up. So mental pillar, mental health, there's been a 13% rise in mental health conditions and substance abuse from 2007 to 2017, according to the world health organization, also known as the who the WHO. 11% of people age 18 to 25 are depressed. That's one in 10, more than one in 10 of people 18 to 25 are depressed. Suicide rate increased from 10.4 per 100,000 to 14.5 per 100,000 from 2000 to 2019. That's like a 50% increase in, in 10 years, in a decade, or in 20 years, excuse me. It's pretty huge. Uh, and that's during the time of social media and all the stuff that we've got going on now. And that's not even including 2020, 2021, where we've seen like record numbers of suicide and all that stuff, which I'm about to get to next. 80% of suicides are committed by men and nearly 90% by whites. Uh, this is one of the things, you know, Jordan Peterson points that out a lot when he talks about um, when he like defends uh, equality among men and women among the sexes, because he points out a lot of different things of, of men who, who men died at earlier ages. There's more women in college. He talks about how there's 
more men in prison, substantially more men in prison, more men are victim of violent crimes. Many more men, especially white men, commit suicide and are suicidal uh, when we talk about all the, the benefits to men and the patriarchy in today's world, right? Like he, he, he really paints a good picture of the other side of that, which feminists uh, like to conveniently leave out very often. Continuing on, this is from Mental Health America. Uh, and so this says the number of people looking for help with anxiety and depression has skyrocketed. From January to September of 2020, 315,220 people took the anxiety screen, a 93% increase over the 2019 total number of anxiety screens. So there's people who go in and kind of see like if they have anxiety and how serious it is. 534,784 people took the depression screen, which is a 62% increase over the 2019 total number of depression screens. So 93% increase from 2019 to 2020 um, in anxiety screens and 62% increase from 2019 to 2020 uh, in depression. This is another thing that we talk about a lot uh, when it comes, or conservatives talk about a lot when we talk about COVID lockdowns and the restrictions here. And so I've had some interesting debates with people too. I'm going to pull up one of those actually um, on something that I shared a while back. So I'm going to share anonymously a conversation that I had with somebody on Instagram uh, really quickly. I'm not going to say who it was. I pulled this up, pulled, just pulled up my Instagram to actually share this with you guys. And I don't see her stories very often, but her stories was like right at the top of my page, the first one that came up. So it must be, it must be in, the, in the cards for me to share this today. And so I had shared this uh, New York Times uh, post that says 51% was the increase in ER visits for suicide attempts by adolescent girls in the U.S. in early 2021 as compared to the same period in 2019. The figure rose 4% for boys in that time. Now, if you want to read and learn a lot about this, you can either listen to Abigail Schreier on The Spillover with Alex Clark. She has a great episode on there where she talks specifically about how this is rising so much in young girls, especially um, not as much in women, but in adolescent girls. Uh, a lot of it is due to gender theory and how the transgender movement really targets in a lot of ways uh, young girls. And she has some crazy stuff and stats she shares. She's the author of Irreversible Damage, um, which I highly encourage you to check out. And so my comments above this post were, as our society embraces socialism, atheism, progressivism, and the chaos that follows, our youngest people are hit the hardest, which to me is tragic. And so this person responded as someone who works in mental health, I think it is more indicative of a lack of access to mental health care in this country. And I said, I don't know how we would not see, I don't know how we would see an increase due to not having adequate treatment resources without some sort of catalyst that produced an increase in the first place. So my point there is that like in this mental health climb, it seems like that's always, I mean, any, anybody on the left, the answer is always, we need more funding, right? We need to spend more money on whatever it is, right? I'm going to give you some crazy or some, uh, well, no, I don't have, I don't have good uh, educational stats on here, but you can look them up. I mean, some of the educational stats, I was just listening to Thomas Sowell yesterday and he, he earnestly argues that um, a child in Harlem today gets a worse education than he got 50 or 60 years ago in Harlem um, when he was a boy, maybe 70 years ago. I don't know. He's pretty old. I think he's like 80 something. Um, and when you think about that, it's really sad, right? And, and the answer is always just put more money into it, right? Not school choice, not school vouchers. No, just more education money, right? Give the teachers unions more money. Um, that's going to solve the issues. 
And so I, I pointed this out to her that I said, there's got to be some catalyst that's increasing the, the need for depression and anxiety or the, that something's increasing depression and anxiety. It's not just not having mental health resources to treat it, right? So obviously, like you could say maybe the suicide rate is caused uh, partially because there's a lack of actual uh, resources to treat depression and anxiety. But why is the depression and anxiety there in the first place? We're not, I, I mean, the world would have you today believe in progressives would have you believe and, and atheists would have you believe that our natural state is just anxious, depressed, and sad. As Christians, we know that that's not true, right? That's, that's abnormal. That is um, outside the range of God's plan for our lives. And so, uh, and you see this, how do we know this? Why do we think that? It's because you see martyrs who are singing as they go to their death, right? And, and they're joyful and they're praying for the people who are killing them, just as Christ did. So if they can be happy, then you in your middle-class home as a teenager with very little stress and, and responsibilities should be able to like, not want to kill yourself. Right. Like that would be the natural state that you should, you would expect somebody to live in. Obviously there's a lot of chemical imbalances and things that can work in depression, but the majority of people taking these screenings are not actually chemically imbalanced. Right. We haven't just seen this. And if we have seen a huge chemically imbalanced increase over people, we have higher suicide and depression rates now than we did in the great depression, which is strange. Right then we should be looking at what's causing that, right? It didn't just naturally happen. We didn't just devolve, right? We didn't just, instead of evolve over the last hundred years, we actually just got set back and we became worse, right? Like something is causing this. And so that's why I attributed it largely to socialism, atheism, progressivism, and the like, right? So I pointed out to this, this person, I don't know if I've already said it's a girl, but it was a woman um, that I'm talking with. And this is, a, this is an old friend of mine. So it's not, this, I don't despise this person or anything like that. I'm just sharing because I think this is important and it's relevant to what we're talking about. This is in the DMs. Like this is totally private and anonymous. But I said that, you know, I pointed out that we had to have some type of increased catalyst that caused it. And then we can talk about having a lack of adequate treatment. But it's like having like saying that uh, the hospitals are being overrun uh, by gunshot victims. And the reason why the people are dying or getting close to dying is because there's not enough people to treat the gunshots. It's like, well, who's shooting them? You know, like, let's go back a little bit. Um, and that has a lot of other ways I could go with that as well. But then this person said, uh, well, you also have to think about how COVID and school closures have impacted kids. I worked in an inpatient unit with kids and I'd say 90% of the ones who attempted suicide or endorsed suicidal thoughts talked about how they were having to be at home was one of the biggest factors, right? So being locked down or family issues that stem from having to spend an increased amount of time with their family. And I'm like, I a hundred percent agree with you. And that's what progressivism does. That like no conservative said that we should have shut down schools. No science backed up shutting down schools. There's not really much science that that talks about um, masking kids. There's not a lot of science that supports vaccines for children. Uh, actually, if you if you follow Project Veritas, you know that there's people. They had people at Pfizer and Moderna, if I'm not mistaken, um, who work for them in the vaccine departments that said no, kids don't need vaccines. It's all it's all for money. And COVID quickly became political and all this stuff. Um, and so I talked about this, right? And I'm like, kids in Florida are doing better. These places where it's not locked down and it's not, uh, we don't see all these lockdowns and things like that. Like the kids are thriving. They're doing much better, especially mentally. And so um, she talked about how social media also plays a huge role in adolescent mental health. And that it's unfair to blame progressivism for um these types of things. And I said, well, I didn't, I didn't just blame progressivism. I said, it plays a huge role in it, but so does atheism. So does socialism, which is always coupled with like atheism. 
And so progressives who are pushing for socialism that also has to be tied with uh, atheism is, is a pretty big deal. You know, I said, I think that this increased uh, inflation has hurt mental health. I think that fear mongering and telling kids like Greta Thunberg does that the world is going to end in 10 years if we don't stop using planes and gas is hurting mental health. I think gender theory has a huge negative impact on mental health, especially young girls who are often targeted by it. Uh, see Abigail Schreier in her book for more evidence on that. I think critical race theory that tells young white kids they're inherently evil and racist is hurting mental health. I think radical feminism that tells men they're inherently bad and that the world is better without us hurts mental health. I think a woman having an unnecessary full-term abortion at eight to nine months hurts mental health for her and those around her. All of those are progressive ideas. That's the utopian world that progressivists who lead the Democratic Party want to see. Full-term abortion on demand, no genders, critical race theory, atheism, etc. None of that helps. And I think that for the most of that, there is research that proves it. And for the ones that lack research, uh, it's because of its recency, and we will see the impacts in the years to come. So think about that. Now, I also want to share another conversation that just came to mind as well, um, because somebody else responded to this and blamed, said, this is this person who I met uh, years ago and is, I believe, a full-blown atheist now, posts a lot of like sarcastic stuff about Christianity and, and, and clowns Christianity a lot um, and responded. Um, and, and this, this, I think I, I'm going to get all kinds of derailed. So we're 30 minutes in, this is definitely gonna be a two-parter. Um, but I think this is good stuff. I don't know if you guys like hearing this type of, uh, but I, I really like philosophy and debate and things like that. And I don't, I don't get to have people on here who I disagree with. I have, I've had, I've had some, recently and there's some people who i disagree with and challenge and stuff coming out this month actually in february so uh yeah hopefully you look forward to that and if you know people who would be good to talk with i'd love to um after that message i just read you the the girl she never responded this one's a man he also goes to me at some point which i feel like is super common right so you're talking with the left you're talking with atheists i don't know if the woman's an atheist or not but or she's still practicing her faith but this guy i know is is pretty anti-Christianity. And he responded to that same post, right? Where I said, uh, you know, socialism, atheism, progressivism, and the chaos that follows are hitting our young people the hardest on that stat about the increased suicide rate from the New York Times, who I do follow because of the social dilemma. So I try to follow and it's hard to like their stuff, but I do follow different accounts because I don't want to just create an echo chamber for myself to fall into. So he responds and says, you mentioned atheism. Just a question. Do you think religion, especially Christianity, has any responsibility in this? And I said, I think as we see our society drift further from Christianity slash church attendance and increase in depression and anxiety, it's hard to make a connection between religion and the increase. I assume you disagree. How do you think Christianity has played a role in it? Now, explain, like, to me, this stuff, like, that's not that complicated, right? And I, I'm not trying to just be a, a jackass here. But truly, like we, you've seen a drastic decrease in church attendance, people actually identifying and living their lives by faith. Um, more and more people are saying they're not religiously affiliated, right? We see a huge increase in that over the last two decades, an even bigger decrease in the last 50 years, massive decreases in children being baptized and receiving First Communion and receiving confirmation um, in, in Catholic marriages, um, and, and church attendance in general, it's declined, right? This is not even just in Catholic church, but church in general, while simultaneously seeing this huge increase in drug abuse, we see this huge increase in um, 
depression, suicide, anxiety, all these other things, right? Divorce, um, all this stuff over time, right? And and, and then and then people look and say, what what Christianity did this? And it's like, I mean, I'm not saying that we didn't play any role and that the church didn't have a negative impact, and that I'm not saying the church didn't shoot herself in the foot with um, well, she didn't, but the members of the church are leaders, you know, think of Ted McCarrick and um, the sex abuse scandals and things like that. Like, I'm not saying we didn't give the world a reason to leave the church or try to convince them even at times. I mean, I'm not saying we're not still doing that today with a lot of McCarrick's boys, like Cardinal Toman and Cardinal Supich. But, but still, like, how do you not, how do you, how do you look at a decline in church attendance and increase in suicide and depression and be like, this is the church's fault? And so he responded and said, I can only speak from my own experience with Christianity, but it put me in a deep depression. And one thing I'm noticing, it takes a while to unlearn so much of what you were taught, but I know so many others who had or have, are having the same experience. And, and this was his claim. A majority of people who commit suicide were often affiliated with a religion, especially Christianity. And I'm like, I don't think that's true. So I looked it up. Right. And I just Googled, I just Googled the question. Um, like, like, I think I even Googled it with like in his favor of like, are the majority, do the majority of people who commit suicide affiliate with Christianity or something like that, right? And I responded to him and I said, from your own experience, surely seems like a biased approach. And I'm sure those around yourself are pretty similar, pretty similar to you or think very similarly to how you do based on your strong stances and the messaging I see you share on Instagram about being like very anti-church. So I'm sure you don't have a lot of like, faithfully practicing people. One, he's not Catholic. He was raised in uh, a Protestant home. Um, and I'm like, dude, like, how do you not see that? That's like, you, you're probably pretty biased, right? Like I think most of your friends are atheists and non-practicing Christians as well. So then I Googled, I Googled it. And it was like the second article that came up and it was Los Angeles times. Right. So this isn't like Catholic, this isn't Catholic answers. Like this is the LA times. And it was an article from, when is this from? Damn, they have so many ads. Stop with the ads. From 2016. So it's an article from 2016. So it's five years old. And it says, church attendance linked with reduced suicide risk, especially for Catholics, study says. <laughs> Dude, I'm telling you, like, I didn't go to page 10, guys. I just Googled the question. I Googled his claim. And, and you read this article. And it says, it's not clear how widely the findings can be applied to a diverse population of American women. In a study population made up of nurses and dominated by women who identified themselves as either Catholic or Protestant, the suicide rate observed was about half that for U.S. women as a whole. So, and it goes on. It's a long article. You can read it. Maybe I'll link this as well. But I'm like, dog. I said that article was the second one to pop up when I Googled the question from the LA Times, which is extremely left slash non-religious. And it specifically highlights Catholic women who in the mind of many leftists, are among the most oppressed women that exist. And I said, I'm obviously sorry to hear about your religious experience was one of despair and depression. And I'm sorry that anyone has that experience, but I'm sure that experiences like that are driven by evil people who are affiliated with the faith, not the faith itself. And then he just says, I'm not so sure how relevant that article is. How is that relevant, not relevant? When It's exactly what you just said. And then it says white men accounted for almost 70% of deaths of suicide deaths in 2019. He said there were 1.3 million deaths by suicide in 2019. Now I'm going to check um, Let's fact check that real quick. Now I did not, I did not fact check this in the moment. 
He never cited or sent me any, any links to anything or anything like that. Right. This is his only response. Um, I, and I sent him the link to that. I just, when I, when I read you, when I read you this stuff from the article of LA times, I actually sent him the link to the article. And I don't even know if he clicked on it, but just said, I'm not so sure how relevant this article is. This man said white men account for almost 70% of suicides by deaths, suicide deaths in 2019. Right. Um, I'm trying to look at the numbers that I had from the who. 80% are committed by men, 90% by white. So I don't know what the crossover by that is. Maybe it is 70%. He said there were 1.3 million deaths by suicide in 2019. Now that must be worldwide because there's only 47,511 deaths by suicide in 2019, according to the CDC. This is just after me Googling it right now. I never looked it up when he said it. Let me see if I look worldwide. What does that come up with? Jeez, I can't type. Sometimes when I'm trying to type and talk to you, I forget or I lose my. So it says 700,000 died by suicide globally, according to the WHO. So it doesn't say exactly 2019. I have to go deeper into their website. I was just downloaded a freaking thing. I didn't want that. But 700,000 by every year die by suicide. So, I mean... 1.3 1.3 million by suicide in 2019 seems a little, little bit of a stretch. Maybe I'd believe that if it was 2020 or 2021, but I don't know how I'm supposed to believe that there was a 90% increase in suicide in 2019 with no like catalyst for that. Right. So that's according to the who. So this, this, this is, this is <laughs> guys, this is like, this is the kind of stuff I want to talk about. I want to share and people get mad at me when I, when I share conversations like this. But this is what arguing with a leftist looks like. And I'm sorry about that. And this is when I, when I just shared recently the recent podcast of why am I conservative? Like this, this is like how I, I, it's almost impossible to talk about excellence and not get back to these things and these lies that you're told by the world and by the left um, and by people who are against the church, because this is the type of stuff that draws people into lives of mediocrity. So that's how we got here. I never planned on talking about any of this or bringing up these conversations, but I just felt moved to. And I'm really glad that I did. Um, but this is when you, when you hear Thomas Sowell being interviewed by Dave Rubin and he talks about, you were a Marxist as a kid. He's like, what changed? Like what changed your mind? And, and Thomas Sowell answers one word and he says facts, F A C T S fact facts changes his mind. And these are the facts that we're freaking talking about. He says, I'm going back to this quote from this man, white men accounted for almost 70% of suicide deaths in 2019. There are 1.3 million deaths by suicide in 2019. No source, nothing. We've also seen a massive increase in suicide deaths from people ages 15 to 24 since 2010. Agreed. Predominantly from people who identify as Christian or evangelical. No source for that. Nothing. Also, how do you separate evil people who are affiliated with the faith from the faith itself? What does that even mean? Taking a break here. This is, that's not a complex physical, philosophical thing, Right. Uh, the U.S. Army isn't necessarily bad just because there's been soldiers who have raped and killed innocent people. That doesn't make the whole army bad. Uh, the United States isn't a bad place just because we have people who commit crimes and we've done some terrible things and atrocity. In our, that doesn't make the whole as, as this is the left, though, right? Like you can't disassociate things from uh, you can't disassociate things. Right. So there's group identity. If there's one person that's bad in that group, then they're all bad. This is the problem with like Trump's comments in Charlottesville when he says that some people who wanted the statue of Robert E. Lee to remain were good. They're good, kind-hearted people that just love history. 
You can't say that because in their mind, everybody who wants that is racist, just like everybody who's a Trump supporter is racist and evil. You can't separate the idea that, okay, this might have been one bad priest or one bad person in my church who's rude, but that doesn't mean the Catholic church is bad. That doesn't change the catechism, right? That doesn't make the catechism and scripture false. That doesn't change the historicity and the fact that Jesus was a person who existed on earth, the most documented person of all time. This doesn't change that fact just because somebody in my church was rude to me. No matter how rude or how evil or awful they might have been, that doesn't change reality. And I can separate the fact that there's a Christian faith, there's a Catholic teaching, there's a Catholic church, the body of Christ here on earth. I can separate that from the people who uh, claim to be a part of it and are actually evil people. So he says, what does that even mean, LOL? Like, that's not a complicated thing, right? You can meet an asshole in Germany that claim, that's an American, and it doesn't mean America as a country is bad. But you, this is why we need to study philosophy. This is why you need to have liberal arts education, because when people don't get philosophy, they don't, they, like, we literally can't think anymore. You literally can't think. It's like saying that, like, we, and we can get into, we can fall into this as well to think that all Democrats are bad because we, we see AOC and Bernie and we see these extreme people, right? Fauci, Kamala. Then he says, my point was that you mentioned atheism as a leading cause of suicide in your original post, but majority of people who committed suicide between 2010 and 2019 identified as evangelical or Christian. First of all, evangelical and Christian are the same thing. And then my response was, do you have actual, do you have any actual stats to back that up? You keep saying that, but I can't find anything that supports it. It being the, quote, the majority of people who committed suicide between 2010 and 2019 identified as Christian, end quote. I cited something that showed that active, starred active churchgoers commit suicide at lower rates. Separating evil people from a belief system is something we commonly do. It's the same argument that people make for BLM when they argue that the violent people aren't representative of the core movement. It's, that's a great analogy, right? When you see those people rooting and, and, and or rioting and looting and, and all these things, like they're like, that doesn't rep- that's not BLM. It's like, well, they're doing it in the name of BLM. They're spray paint BLM everywhere. And it's like, no, like Black Lives Matter is a movement about saying that equality is good. And why can't you just support that and say the phrase? And we, when, when the right gets caught up in saying like, no, this, this is BLM. And you go on their website and it's Marxist and they push gender ideology and they push destroying the nuclear family. People are like, no, 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 no. That's not BLM. But somehow when it's a church, it's, it's all the same. So I basically just said the rest of everything I just kind of shared with you as well. And I got no response to that message. I've yet to see any stats or statistics or reports that support anything that he said. But these are the type of people who get really upset with things that I say. And I try to sort and cite things that I say. Sometimes I get corrected on those things and I, I delete or take things down or try to or issue a correction because I've definitely been wrong before. Man, 43 minutes in and I've gotten through one of my 40 stats here. <laughs> this, this might be the podcast for the rest of the year. Um, so let's continue on with the mental, mental pillar. I appreciate you coming on that ride with me of kind of stepping aside there for a second. I do really think it was necessary because I think that that shows the decline that I think is hard to statistically track with this decline, like I said, in philosophy and philosophical thinking. We can't philosophize anymore, and it's really, really bad. So people just settle for being taught what to think instead of how to think. 
And it's something that's like, that's part of the reason why I want to debate people. And I want to learn more about people who see things differently than me, because the more and more conservative I get, the more I get deleted and blocked by people who disagree with me. And I don't get to have these conversations. I'm really grateful for these people. And I share that oftentimes when I disagree with somebody. And I try to tell my guests that either before the podcast or you hear me say it all the time on the podcast, it's okay if we disagree. I'm not, we don't have to come on here. I don't want you to come on here and be an echo chamber of me. I want you to share your genuine thoughts. And I think this is so important for people to realize, like people just can't, people, they, they're not thinking enough. Like this is uh, one of my friends, hopefully she'll be able to come on this month. I think I have her down for February or March, uh, Noble Gibbons. So in January, I released the episode with, or no, Kathy Gibbons. I released an episode with Noble, her, her husband, back in January. She, he was like the second one of this year. This is the second time on the podcast. And she's supposed to be starting a podcast called Filter It Through a Brain Cell and talking about teaching people how to think. Because that's all that that takes, guys. Like, I, I don't, I've never, I've never thought that I've, I've been like an extremely intelligent person. I think if you look at somebody like Larry Elder or Ben Shapiro or Candace Owens, you can be like, wow, like that person, they're really, really intelligent. I don't think I'm that smart. But I do think I have an, an, a solid ability to reason and rationalize things. And so it's not complicated to say, okay, we have an increase in suicide rates. It must be because we're not having enough people to treat. And it's like, no, why, why, why? This never happened before. And we had even less resources to treat people with mental health before. Therapy and counseling, psychologists, psychiatry was not a well-respected profession before the middle of the 20th century. And people weren't killing themselves at these rates during the Great Depression when shit was really, really bad. Slaves didn't kill themselves at the rates of suicide we're seeing now. And you're telling me life's that much harder now in 21st century America? That you think there's not enough counseling? Come on, dog. There's got to be something that's sparking that. And when you can see individually that, I mean, we don't know about CRT yet, but you can see the impacts on ge of gender theory on young girls when you read books like that. You can see the, the suicide rates and, and depression rates of people who live under communism and socialism and totalitarianism and authoritarianism. Like you can see that. You can see the fear and the increase when we have death trackers on CNN. You can see the impact of mental health of lockdowns and masking and all these things, right? And then when you combine them and you say, this is progressivism and these are the results of it, people are like, no, that's not right. We just need to put more money into it. We need more government. Yeah, okay. Moving on. Thank you for thank you for being there for me during this time of, of need here. Mental toughness. So reading. I don't, I don't know why I have this as the mental toughness because there's nothing mental toughness about it. So ignore the fact that I just said that word like three times. But for reading. So, you know, this is one of my big three, right? So I'd like to talk about reading, exercise, and working out. 72% of Americans read at least part of a book, read at least part of a book in 2015 with the average being around four per year, a steady gradual decline in reading has, has happened over the last couple of decades and men read less and more educated people tend to read more, right? So the more educated you are, typically the more books you read each year and men read less than women do. The average person reads around four books a year. Like that's trash. And, and think about what percentage of those books are just worthless, right? Like and I, I know, I know, I know people get on me because people love reading novels and fiction books are great. I don't agree. Uh, I think some fiction books are great, like the classics and really good ones, um, like Crime and Punishment are these books that are kind of, you know, 1984 that are analogous to real life. But like, 
what was that stupid ass um series that like teenage girls loved when i was in high school about the werewolf and the vampire oh man i can i can, I can picture it i never saw any of the movies or read any of the books but books like that or 50 shades of gray you know what i'm talking about with the vampire dude they made all the movies about twilight twilight stupid ass twilight reading twilight or harry potter or um 50 shades of gray like 50 shades of gray actually actively makes you worse of a, of a human being so that doesn't count. And so think about what percentage of these books are trash, right? Imagine if 75% of America read Dave Ramsey books or just, you know, total money makeover and how much better we off we'd be. People aren't reading, man. This is, this is bad stuff. Think about divorce. 40 to 50% of couples in the U.S. divorce and divorce rate for subsequent marriages is even higher, according to the APA. I believe that's the American Psychological Association. Leading causes of divorce are number one, like uh, infidelity. Number two, too much conflict. Number three, financial problems. Health problems and religious difference are in the top 10 as well, according to the NIH, also known as the National Institute of Health, also known as one of the corrupt, most corrupt organizations in America. Catholic divorce is just as is, is terrible as well. One in four Catholics have gone through a divorce, and more than four in 10 have lived with a partner before uh, that they weren't married to. I'm surprised that number's not higher, honestly. Here's another interesting kind of like mental health stat. One in five adults say they feel lonely regularly or often. And it's especially true in higher and young single men. One in five adults say that they feel lonely regularly or often. Think how bad that is. And if you've ever studied or learned anything about socialism and communism, you know that it thrives on, on lonely people because it makes you more reliant on the government. It makes you more susceptible to being manipulated like community, you know, this is the, it takes a village, right? Like community is huge. That's why the church preaches community all the time. All right. So now we're going to move on to physical health. This might be the last one I do for this part one here. Physical, I can't believe I do guys. I have three pages worth of notes and I am barely, I'm at the last paragraph on the first page and we're 50 minutes in. This is fun though. It's always good to have more content than less, you know, I don't know if you've ever tried to record a podcast before, but it can be hard to record a solo one for an hour. Luckily, I'm very opinionated and have too much to say. Physical health in 2017 and 2018, prevalence of obesity was 42.5%. Before that, from 2000 to 2007, from 2000 to 2018, it increased. So the obesity rate increased from 30.5% to 42.5%. So quick math, that's like 40%. 35% increase in 18 years. Obesity-related conditions include heart disease, diabetes, and certain cancers that are some of the leading causes of preventable death. The estimated annual cost of obesity in the U.S., this is wild, was $147 billion in 2008. The medical cost for obese people was $1,429 higher than those of healthy weight, 40% of adults aged 20 to 39 are obese. Now, you probably knew that there was an epidemic of obesity in the United States. One, mind you, that especially in the midst of COVID and all this other stuff, nobody, give, nobody gives a shit about this, right? I think I know it's over 70% of COVID deaths are, are people that are obese or have these other conditions that are de derived from obesity, that follow from obesity. Nobody cares. It's so interesting, right? Like I know in certain countries they're putting like vaccine, uh, 
encouragers on like McDonald's foods and things like that. Right. So this is something I'm taking a lot more seriously in 2022 is my diet. And it's been like one of the hidden blessings of dating and, and being engaged to and marrying somebody who has a lot of dietary restrictions is, uh, yeah, I just, you almost are forced to in some ways clean up your diet, but I want to get a lot better with this because yeah, if you read the real Anthony Fauci, which I've recommended many times, uh, you learn about some of the stats that people like Robert Kennedy often share between vaccines and big food, big meat, uh, big agriculture, uh, big pharma, and, and the stuff that they're doing to us, man. I just saw a post last night that said the average person over 65 takes like five pills a day. And I think nine out of 10 of people over 65 are on prescription meds. And a lot of the, the, the stuff that they're being treated for, it's like medicine that, that kind of like quiets your symptoms, but doesn't like actually treat your issues. And a lot of times diet can heal a lot of these issues. Dog, 40% of adults between age 20 and 40 are obese. Are you effing kidding me? I mean, obviously, like, you have to be careful with some of these numbers because it can be like BMI scale and stuff like that. And so, like, I was considered obese when I was, like, in my best shape in the military. I was overweight at that time. I wasn't obese yet, but I was considered overweight. But still, 20 to 39, 40%. Think about that. That is absolutely wild, right? So... This is why we need to we need to be good evangelists of this. And the first thing to being a good evangelist of excellence in any way is living it out yourself. And so think about, I mean, $1,500 higher medical costs for obese people than healthy weighted people. Heart disease, diabetes, certain cancers, some of the leading causes of preventable death. Now, to, to get an idea of what I mean by preventable death, right? Let me Let me give you some crazy stuff. So I'm recording this. So I'm recording this. Sorry, I just had a little glitch. So I'm recording this here. It, it's actually New Year's Eve when I'm recording this episode. Um, and I'm going to give you the total U.S. COVID deaths at this point. And these are bullshit numbers for the most part. Remember that. So 823,000. Remember how many people they recorded as COVID deaths who died in car accidents and just had happened to test positive for COVID, right? So keep that in mind. Um, but that's 823,000. COVID deaths since the like since March of 2020. So 823,000 since uh that's over 20 months, let's say. Dog, check this out. This is from the CDC. Heart disease is a leading cause of death for men, women, and people of most racial and ethnic groups in the United States. One person dies every 36 mother effing seconds in the US from cardiovascular disease, from heart disease. About 659,000 people in the U.S. die from heart disease each year. That's one in four. One in every four deaths. Now get this. Buckle up. Heart disease costs the United States about $363 billion each year. What? Nobody, no, dude, like, and nobody cares. Nobody cares at all. About 800,000 each year have uh, 800,000 people in the U.S. each year have a heart attack. One in five heart attacks is silent. The damage is done, but the person is not aware of it. That's interesting. Dude, think about this. You want to know 
uh, <laughs> here you go. Scroll a little bit further down. And it says high blood pressure, high, high blood cholesterol, and smoking are key risk factors for heart disease. Several other medical conditions and lifestyle choices. Emphasis there should be bolded. Lifestyle choices can also put people at a higher risk for heart disease, including diabetes, also driven by obesity. The next bullet is overweight and obesity. The third bullet, unhealthy diet, which leads to overweight and obesity. The fourth one, physical inactivity, which leads to being overweight and obesity. Number five, excessive alcohol use, which often leads to being overweight and obese. Now, let's look at those numbers again. Run this by me one more time, homeboy. So we've had 823,000 deaths in the last almost two years of COVID with inflated, like very, very flexible numbers there. And in that same period of time, over a million people easily, I mean, we're talking like one point, one point, uh, yeah, 1.1 maybe million people have died from heart disease. Yeah, nobody, and it's all, and it's almost all driven by lifestyle choice. And nobody talks about it. Even most of the COVID deaths are driven by obesity, which also causes a lot of heart disease. And nobody talks about it. This is the stuff I'm talking about, fam. Be healthy. Choose physical health and excellence, man. This makes me want to go work out. But I got the college football playoff here coming on here soon. So we're going to get running to that. But hey, man, I love you guys. This has been awesome. Thanks for diving into my DMs with me. Um, I'm sure I, I would enjoy hearing that. So I hope you enjoyed listening to it um, and just kind of hearing my breakdown of it. And so, as always, the best thing you can do is just set a great example for people. We're going to jump back in in episode uh, in part two of this one with some professional stats. We're going to dive in some deep into some financial, social uh, slash Catholic, uh, you know, and spiritual stats. So these are deep, man. Um, maybe I'll even. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see what I end up doing for part two. But I, I appreciate you guys. Thanks for listening. Um, if you if you enjoy the podcast, as always, if you leave us a review, you know, I piss people off constantly, just like the people that I talked about on Instagram. And so um, I get I get a, my fair share of one star reviews. So if you like that podcast or if you even just enjoyed this one, if you go on and just search the podcast and leave us a review really quick, it goes a long way. And I really, really appreciate it. If you're willing to actually like write a review, that's even better. Um, but that's all we ask of you and, uh, just ask for your continued prayers. Know my prayers for you, um, continue to fight hard and be your best. God bless.